0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the editor's desk here on BizNews Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me, Alec Hugg. Now, obviously the big story this week, the thing that completely dominated, uh, everything that we did on Business and everything everybody else was doing was the election. And I wanted to start off by talking about something that I, I think is very, very important. Now, obviously everybody's been discussing the, the ANC's reduced mandate and all the rest of it. But one thing that really, really struck me is if you look at the number of votes, right, looking compared to 2014, in 2014, the ANC got about 11.4 million votes. And this year, they were down to 10 million. Similarly, if you look at the, the DA, they got 4 million votes in 2014. Now they're down to 3.6, right? So, While the percentages have shifted, what we're really looking is about two million votes for the two leading parties have just evaporated. Part of that, obviously, is people staying home, and part of that is people switching to other parties. Now, that, to me, is very striking, and it shows a massive enthusiasm gap for this election. You know, people went out and voted, but they weren't excited about it this year.
1: You're so right, and in fact, I was just reading this morning Gareth von Onselen, who's a excellent political analyst with the Institute for Race Relations, he said that that is the feature of this election, that the turnout was significantly lower. Nobody anticipated a 7 percentage point drop in the turnout. So we went from around, what is it, 72% to 66%. um, And South Africa being a young democracy, it is one that we've been used to, very high turnouts. Um, Many people never got the chance to vote before. This is the sixth time now, though, and perhaps the whole – Enthusiasm, uh, the whole uh, I suppose uh, uh, opportunity that wasn't didn't exist in the past. The novelty of it is, is wearing off, and we're becoming just like any other democracy. Uh, there were a lot of interesting features to me. That was clearly a very big one. Uh, another uh, big one was the the obviously the swing of and it worked out exactly, ironically, 19 MPs more for the EFF, 19 less for the ANC. And then on the other side of the political spectrum, five MPs less for the Democratic Alliance, six MPs more for the Freedom, Freedom Front. And I, I, I was looking through the the data, the, the information per province this morning, and I, something came up that I, I still don't understand. But there were 650,000 more votes in the national election than in the provincial elections. Now, I've got to double-check and triple-check my figures because that's a huge difference. It could be partly because of special votes. It could be because of votes from overseas. But it would also suggest that a lot of people went in there and really couldn't be bothered with their, with having a provincial vote, and they just wanted to vote in the national election. And there you see the reason why uh, the ANC got about, well, half a million more votes in fact, I think it was 650,000 more votes at the national level than they got at the provincial levels. So as I say, I, I, I wouldn't put my head on a block because I've only done – I've only double-checked it, but I need to triple and quadruple-check those numbers because it does seem very strange.
0: You know, you see that in a lot of places. It makes me actually think a lot about U.S. elections, right, where the turnout for the presidential election, the big – Every four years, national presidential election is high. And then the intermittent turnout for the, um, House of Representatives in the Senate, which happens every two years, uh, in that off year, it's always much lower, right? And you often, often see this, that, um, people tend to get much more excited about National scope elections and elections that are going to affect top leadership than they do about these call them middle level mid level rather um elections and part of that I think is because there 's so much news coverage at the national level that sometimes the provincial level gets a bit neglected. you know I could count on one hand the number of stories that I saw talking about you know uh, limpopo province provincial elections or something like that, whereas everybody was really focused on the national election and i 've seen some studies that say that sometimes the media coverage can account for that enthusiasm gap and also an information gap. People don't necessarily know the provincial level candidates the way that they know, quote unquote, the national level candidates. But it's really interesting if that's starting to happen more and more in South African politics, because I think, you know, historically, uh, South African politics has been a very local affair you know, very uh, embedded in the community. And it's interesting if that is changing into this more distant kind of media-driven uh, politics that you see in most uh, developed democracies.
1: And hard-boiled as well. Those who go to the polls are members of parties or associate themselves with the parties. And, and uh, really, I, I remember it being described to me once uh, by a, a member of the ANC, very senior ANC member. He said it we like members of a football club. Your football club's not always doing well, but you're never going to switch to go and support another football club. So as a result, the amount of uh, votes that we get or the percentage share that we get of the votes depends on how many of our supporters actually bother to pitch up in the day. And this is not good news for the ANC, which has got a a very deep historical background. And the, the, the international trend of lower percentage polls would presume that they would be a loser as you go forward uh, because the, I guess the lower the, the, the poll, the less of the supporters of the biggest football club are actually going to be pitching up for the game um, and as a consequence of that relative to the others and the, the more aggressive uh, um, members or, or activist members of of smaller parties. But what is also very interesting here was Uh, The way that the EFF came a lot lower than what was widely anticipated, there was a view that the EFF would get 14% and the DA would get 23%. That was pretty much all of the polls were looking at that. ANC just below 60% uh, and uh, one of the polls had them at 53%. uh, And those were the, the, the two for the opposition parties. But as it happens, both of the opposition parties scored less uh, it Of course, there was a, a benefit for the Freedom Front, which also shows a little bit of hemorrhaging there by the Democratic Alliance, um, where the, the Freedom Front – and it scored well right around the country, looking at the different provinces, particularly well in Gauteng and in the northwest province, but also in, in solid throughout the country, the Freedom Front, as a percentage of, of the overall, whereas uh, you'd get some of the other parties like the IFP, which is – it got almost all its votes in KZN and very little elsewhere in the country. So it's, a, it's, it, it's an interesting dynamic that's now at play within South Africa uh, for so many different reasons. But I like what the president, sir Ramaphosa, had to say, uh, that we should be celebrating, that it was free and fair, that it was peaceful. Uh, and this, in a global context, is still quite a good thing uh, uh, and, and quite unusual for a developing country, that you don't have lots of chaos and, uh, and, and antagonism and anger uh, being expressed on the day of voting. So well done to South Africans for coming out, and perhaps not in as full of force as they were uh, five years ago, but still two-thirds of uh, eligible voters uh, going along and, and casting their vote is a big number.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that because I I thought actually the polls did a pretty good job. Most of the ones, at least the polls that I looked at, gave, um, you know, gave a range. So they give a confidence interval, you know, it's going to be somewhere between this and this. And most of them had a 10 to 15% range, I would say, for the EFF, and then um a, like an 18 to 23% range for the DA. And they, they did fall within those categories. So it wasn't a big shock, like some... um some polls have you know codes with the brexit poll comes to mind or trump's election those were really a surprise to me actually i thought the the polls were surprisingly good at getting the the midpoints estimates um close pretty close. Um But you're, you're, you're right. The EFF perhaps didn't have as good an election as they could have, but it was a very good election for them. Um, they made big strides both nationally and at the provincial level. Gauteng comes to mind where the EFF gained a lot of seats. But to me, it, it looked like not a great election for the DA. Um, they, they saw their vote share decline. They saw the number of people who voted for them decline. And of course, the Gauteng result was not at all what they were hoping for and you know it yeah they just seem to me to be struggling a bit to to clearly define what they stand for having looked at that you know where their votes fell out and uh people seem to have chosen to go as you rightly point out uh, a lot of people going with the freedom front which is a much more um aggressive about its positions uh as opposed to the da which can sometimes just be like a little bit wishy-washy i don't know what do you think
1: yeah, when you drive around, uh, certainly in Johannesburg, I didn't have the the opportunity, sadly, to, to look in other parts of the country, but the DA posters were very much project fear-driven. Uh, stop the ANC and EFF. Stop the two-thirds majority was the message. Uh, don't vote for Ramaphosa because then you're voting for the party, for the ANC party. It was a negative campaign rather than, what really got me excited about the DA a few years ago was when I had the chance to, to watch Muzi Memani in a event where he, it was at the depths of the, of the Zupta despair where he gave a message of hope. And when he gets on the stage and he talks, hope he talks positive, he talks about the future. He's a, he has a, he's a dynamic leader when he gets on there and starts pointing out things like white privilege and, uh, uh, b e e and stop the A and C because they aren't um, they 're going to make it even worse than it is it's it's a bit like he's playing trying to play two horses uh, or trying to trying to ride two horses at the same time I, it, my sense of, of of this is that when it comes to the crunch as human beings, although we are hardwired to go with the negative. Uh, because that's existential. It's 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 baked into us from a um, hundreds of thousands of years ago. We are, however, always inclined towards hope. You look at Kennedy. You look at Obama. Um, there are many instances like that where, if you can appeal to people's uh, hope and 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 promise and a turnaround in the future. And that's exactly what Ramaphosa did. I remember him, I think it was, it was I can't remember what conversation it was in because he's, he's had so many of them, but he did refer to uh, being a peddler of hope, which is of course a quote from Napoleon who said that uh, 200 years ago. And that's what Ramaphosa did. He said, we can fix this thing. We're going to fix this thing. We're going to put the bad people in jail. We are going to be drawing money into the country I'm giving you hope for employment, et cetera. That was his his message, and he got a lot of people, as I say, from my calculation, six hundred and fifty thousand people who didn't vote for the ANC at a provincial level, but did vote for them at national level. He got them to come on board, and you can see that there was a a distinct difference in his message to the message of the opposition parties. Which, on the one hand, uh, with the DA, was one of, of Project Fear, and on the other hand, with the EFF, is, is full of bile and hate and, and, uh, and anger, uh, which almost allows me to, to believe that—I mean, it sounds ridiculous—but they might have peaked in this election. It could—they could have actually got to the last. Uh, this could be it for them um, because the certainly the econo- people are not. People are poor in South Africa, many people, but they're not stupid. And they know that economic policies of the type that are being propagated by the EFF have led to Zimbabwe. Forget about Venezuela and Cuba, etc. But they know right on their doorstep, and they know Zimbabwean people, and they know that those economic policies don't work. So poor people are not stupid. And it's almost like you, you, you need to have this agitation. You need to have this this uh, this disruptive force. But there's also – a highly conservative streak in the South African population, and if Ramaphosa can can get it right again, if he could if he can even deliver half of the promise that he has suggested, the people who support the club will come back to the game next time round, and next time round you might see uh, the ANC being rewarded. Whereas in this election they certainly were punished for the uh, for, for the the previous president it's it's an interesting point and i guess one has to reflect and everyone's got their opinion and that's mine but looking at the numbers there definitely was a a, a sizable number of people who voted Ramaphosa, um and uh, rather than and that's reflected directly on what happened the difference between the provincial vote and the national
0: vote uh, absolutely and i think that the market response to the election results very clearly says You know, you guys did the right thing. This is the international markets talking to us. South Africa, you did the right thing. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You know, bond yields on uh, South African government debt are down. We saw the RAND perform pretty well. Even stock markets ticked up a little uh, when it looked like the ANC was going to take the lead. Um, It's all very encouraging and says, look, you did the right thing. We believe that the ANC is going to turn things around, that we're going to see the right policies come into place, that Ramaphosa is going to make good on the promises that he's made. And uh, here's the breathing room you need to implement on the vision that Cyril Ramaphosa offered.
1: It's exciting, isn't it? And it's, 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 that is the kind of country I love living in, a country that looks into the future, that is, that is in a turnaround, that is in a building phase. That is uh, sorting out the the muck of the past rather than in many parts of the world where there's this anger with the status quo. But it's through destruction that things are changing, not through construction. Uh, And and there's a a certain calmness about Ramaphosa that continues to impress me. He just doesn't lose it. And it goes back to the core of one's being. You never get anything done if you're agitated and angry. But you can get stuff done when you're calm and peaceful and you're thinking in a, with a cool mind. And South Africa now has a president who's thinking with a cool mind. He didn't get. I, I saw, for instance, Paul O'Sullivan uh, in the run up to the election uh, said published those adverts about the ANC saying, don't vote for the ANC because you're voting for a corrupt party. And when I spoke to Paul, I said, you know, Paul, you, you know Ramaphosa well don't you think he'll be a little upset that you're doing this I mean, he's he's a guy you've known for many years and i guess in a way you could say i don't know if you're a friend but you certainly know him well enough not to uh, not not to uh, want to get on the wrong side or to antagonize him and he said to me there's no way Cyril would take this personally that is the way he's made it's it is his uh, his belief that uh, Ramaposa has this cool head, looks at things in a rational manner. And I, from all of his action, from the reading of the Anthony Butler um, biography, which, as you know, I'm busy uh, doing an audio book of, which you get to learn it quite well when you have to go through all your fluffs <laughs> and redo them. Uh, all of that is telling me that this is a guy for the right time. And uh, the DA, particularly on social media, have been trying so hard when you when you mention anything about uh, Ramaposa to 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 put a spark in. I, uh, Helen Ziller's son, a guy called Jacques Marie, for instance, picked up picked up on a uh, one of a piece, the pieces we had last week, and he he started uh, spouting a, a, a quite angry uh, stuff uh, on social media around this. And my response to him, after thinking about it for a while, was okay. Now I get it. Um, you don't like the fact. That his, his his argument was, well, you don't really know what you're talking about, which is pretty true when it comes to politics. I don't. Um, but uh, what the ANC are going to do is they're just putting uh, Ramaphosa up there, and they're going to get rid of him straight after the election. And I said, well, my response to him was, well, that, that's a that's that's a good uh, uh, opinion. So go for it. Go into the bond markets. Go go short on South African bonds because you're the one who's going to make all the money, while the rest of the world who thinks differently. Are going to be losing. If you're right, you'll make billions. Of course, that's where the argument then peters out because everybody's got an opinion, but when you have to put money behind your opinion, you start looking at it in a very different sense. Uh, And In the cold light of day, the global markets, which are millions of people who are playing and putting cold hard cash down, are saying, this guy's the right guy at the right time for the country. We believe that there's a very good chance that he's going to get it right. That's why we're buying South African bonds and the South African rand.
0: Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available on biznews.com in the premium section. You can sign up for premium for just £5 a month. That's going to give you access not only to our great content, but also to the great content of our partner, The Wall Street Journal.